Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Folks, I will tell you what, I am so excited about today's podcast guest. And I know I say that about usually everybody, but this guy was so cool just to take his time to uh, talk to me for an hour. And man, this anyway, so I'm super stoked to welcome to the show Casey Anderson. He is a wildlife naturalist, a TV host, a filmmaker. For those of you who watch the National Geographic channel, Nat Geo, uh, this guy's name definitely probably sounds familiar. He's had several shows and specials on those channels, including Expedition Wild and America the Wild with Casey Anderson. It was so cool talking to him. And, you know, we just covered a variety of different topics. We both live out west. He's in Montana. I'm in the middle of nowhere in Idaho. So I think maybe we connected from there. But uh, it was just so cool talking to him about his wild experiences growing up in Montana. We talk about, uh, I think his first experience, he was nine years old with his dad and they ran into a grizzly bear and I just, I, I couldn't even imagine, like, seeing a grizzly bear is at the very, very top of my bucket list. So, oh, it was so cool talking to him about that. And like I said, you know, during the interview, we cover a variety of different topics. Just to give you some more insight, or I guess, I guess behind the scenes information on how I conduct my interviews, very rarely do I have a set list of questions that I, you know, go down the list and ask my guest. I very rarely do that. I actually hardly ever even look at a sheet with questions. And, you know, the reason why is because I want to keep the interview and the conversation as organic as possible. And this is what I loved about this interview with Casey because we just went on, you know, several different tangents or topics. and It was crazy. I mean, we talked about bear safety when you are in grizzly bear habitat. He gives you some great pointers on what to do if you unfortunately come across a grizzly bear. And I mean, like, it would be amazing to see a grizzly bear, but if you unfortunately stumble upon one with a cub, yeah, that's pretty bad luck. So we talk about what to do. We talk about what not to do. We also... I'm just, I, I was so curious on how he got his start in television. I, you know, on, you know, on Nat Geo, like, did he ever aspire to work in television? So he kind of gives us the behind the scenes on how he was able to do that. We then uh, talk about Sasquatch. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of you who listen to the show. I know um, one of our most number one listen to episodes was when we did a searching for Sasquatch episode. So I asked Casey because this guy is always in the wilderness. He always has camera traps out where I asked him, have you ever seen any signs of Sasquatch? We go into that. We also go into one of the most unusual relationships <laughs> uh, with, I guess, with an animal that I've ever came uh, really come across. We talk about his relationship with a grizzly bear named Brutus that he rescued. This was an orphan that he rescued. It was just a few weeks old. And now Brutus is 17 years old. He weighs 900 pounds. Yep, that's correct. 900 pounds. And so we talk about that. And I mean, because it's just insane. And I'm going to put the links in the show notes because I'm sure you've seen this. All these videos go viral, but he attached a GoPro and literally he is walking Brutus around in the middle of, middle of the Montana wilderness. It's just crazy. So talk to him about what it would be like to uh, have a friendly relationship with a giant, massive, 
male grizzly bear. I also cover a topic that I've always wanted to ask a bear expert like Casey. I wanted to get his thoughts on Timothy Treadwell. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with that name, Treadwell was, uh, you know, quote unquote, called the grizzly man. And tragically, he was killed by a grizzly bear, uh, him and his girlfriend, actually, in the Alaskan wilderness. So I wanted to get Casey's insight on that and thoughts. And anyway, we just cover a variety of different topics. So I hope you enjoy the interview with Casey. Before you do, if you haven't, please make sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating. I, gosh, it really, really helps me out. Also, make sure if you haven't already to follow me on my social channels at Corbin Maxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I always add, you know, content kind of pertaining to this week's podcast. And of course, make sure to follow Casey as well. His social channels are awesome, and I will provide all those links in the show notes. So with that said, I hope you enjoy my interview with wildlife naturalist, TV host, and filmmaker, Casey Anderson. Casey, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I, I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and I have to say, like, I reached out on a whim thinking, well, maybe this guy will do it, maybe not. I know you're a busy, busy guy. I mean, you're a wildlife naturalist, a TV host, a filmmaker. Where do we begin with your career? <laughs> well, it, it all starts when I was a little kid. Of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, growing up in Montana, it's hard not to be a, a wildlife guy. You know, it's uh, you're surrounded by amazing wildlife, and I had a mom and a dad who let me just kind of explore, and and uh, it didn't take long for me to just start loving animals, and uh, that's the beginning. That's how it started. Now, what part of Montana? Because I okay, I'm here in Idaho, and I hate to say I've never even really been to Montana. Isn't that ridiculous? Not really. I don't yeah. know. It seems like it's a uh, half the country away. <laughs> it's really sure. hard to get to the western side of Mont uh, to Idaho, western side of Idaho, because it's like the highways. There's like what maybe one that really crosses the state, and That's it's true. it's a long haul. But uh, yeah, I grew up outside of Helena. Okay. Okay. Kind of in the middle middle Midwest part of the state. Okay. How 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 big is Helena? Well, I guess that's the capital of Montana, so it's pretty big. Yeah, I'd say, I don't know, 75,000 people now. Okay, not bad. I live in the, the middle metropolis. of metropolis. <laughs> I grew up in Roby Creek, Idaho. Have you ever been there? No. Population four. <laughs> You're one of, so it was just your family. Yeah, just my family. <laughs> I was one of those weird kids that lived in a cabin in the woods. Uh, That's cool. Right? So, Casey, tell me, like, what was your first, I mean, that experience growing up in Montana, I'm sure you were surrounded by wildlife. I mean, I'm sure it was everywhere, right? Do you have any fond memories as a kid? So many. I have so many memories. I'm just trying to think of some of my best. You know, the first time I saw a grizzly bear. I mean, oh. that was like shocking. You know, it was, uh, you hear about grizzly bears, you know they're out there. And then, you know, it was in the, the 80s, so there were, weren't a lot of grizzly bears around. And it was up in the Bob Marshall wilderness. And it was a, you know, early morning, kind of that classic, like, foggy dreary day beautiful actually and uh come around a corner and just see this grizzly bear digging next to this log kind of in this like low misty fog and maybe a little less than 100 yards away and it just you know being in the presence of this massive animal and just seeing this you know this creature that's just so unique sitting there doing its thing and to be able to watch it with my dad and uh, let it do its thing and then just sneak away without it even knowing we were there you know we talked about that and gave each other high fives for like you know, months. We still talk about that day, you know, so it was, uh, that was probably one of the greatest memories. 
Well, so how far away is the grizzly bear? Like, I, I mean, I'm going to, I would love to see a grizzly bear in the wild. That's like the top of my bucket list. But did you just like stumble upon and was it like, oh my God, like, was it super close or were you at a fair distance away? It was, it was a little less than 100 yards away, so it was a safe distance, mm-hmm. um, but quite quite close, really, when you're next to a big animal like that. And, you know, at that point, like I said, it was hit and miss. The population was so low. Uh, they were out there, but, it, you know, it was like seeing a wolverine or a snow leopard at that point. It was, like, so rare. Wow. And it was that was part of the whole experience was just being shocked by this animal being right there and seeing it for the first time. And having hearing, you know, hearing stories about it over and over and over again over the years. And then all of a sudden, bingo, there's one. And then just being like, uh, I don't know the right word. It's just like, you don't, we didn't say anything to each other the whole time. We're just like watched to give each other a nod. And we ended up leaving after sitting there watching it for probably 15 minutes, just ripping away at this log. Yeah. Just amazing. Wow. Just the power of those animals. I mean, it was, oh man, I couldn't even imagine that. I just, yeah, I bet that's like still ingrained in your memory. Like you said. Yeah, power, like literally physical power, just ripping the log apart and sitting there watching an animal utilize those tools, those big claws and just tearing this log apart. And But then also there's the power of its presence. You know, it's this animal that is bigger than you, um, potentially could kill kill you, you know, uh, having that feeling too. There's a humility in, in the being in the presence of an animal like that. Yeah, but were you nervous? So how old were you when you were with your dad when you saw a grizzly bear? Because I would probably be you know, almost crapping my pants. If I, just to be honest yeah. with you, if, if I'm a kid and I see a grizzly bear, you know, oh my goodness, that's a huge animal. Uh, I was probably around, I think I was around nine. nine. And so I was quite young, but it wasn't, it wasn't a nervous kind of anxiety moment, really. It was literally being captivated by this moment. Yeah. Nerves weren't a thing. It was just a, it was just this awe struck kind of a feeling and just sitting there watching it and just, not having that feeling of nervousness. And I think, you know, in retrospect, we we were not really people who were afraid of them. We didn't have a prejudice, I guess, at some point. We weren't, hadn't been taught to be afraid of the grizzly bear. The grizzly bear was the bad guy out there. So not having that prejudice allowed us to calmly and peacefully be in its presence and not be nervous and to be able to sit there and just watch it. Yeah. Do you think grizzly bears get a really bad rap? They definitely get a bad rap. Yeah, they're one of the animals, you know, like the white shark. You know, it's just when you hear about them, it's because they've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. So the general general public has this conception of them that is based on when they hear about them. So it's the headlines, you know, grizzly bear, malls, hiker. That's what they know of grizzly bears. But 99.9% of the time, the bears are just out there doing their thing and they're not – actively seeking you know to go maul a hiker it's bad luck it's like getting struck by lightning if you end up in that situation you know that's what we know that's what we hear and that's you know hollywood doesn't do us any favors you know they use the grizzly bear as a villain and show it in that light over and over again so i think the average human the general public their perception is what they've learned and, and have seen and that is when a bear has done something wrong or the sensationalized kind of monster that they are as a character in a, a film. Yeah. Aren't you like more likely to be killed by a cow than a bear or something like that? Or from a show, oh. the statistics are insane by far. Yeah. By dog. You'd be, oh, you'd by better... dog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dog, cow, horse, horse, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Statistics are insane. I mean, I'd say probably 10, at least 10 times greater being killed by an animal, one of those animals than a grizzly bear. Uh-huh. 
and and to get yourself into a situation with a grizzly bear where you might end up being injured or killed it's bad luck you mean you really got to kind of stumble into this horrible scenario and then do the wrong things and then things kind of go south and mm-hmm. but again they're not actively trying to kill you and eat you they're usually in those situations they are defending themselves they're afraid of you more than you are of them so let's talk about I'm in bear country or great sky country. I guess I should say that from where you're from. What are some big, big sky? Big oh, sky oh, big country. sky. Yeah. Yeah. Big sky. Yeah. D- did I say great sky? You did. Oh, I great. like it. Though. I just lost like my three <laughs> listeners from Montana. Uh, <laughs> hopefully I gained one with you, Casey, but can we go over just some simple safety tips when you are out in their habitat just for the, for the listeners to know? Yeah. I, you know, there's some general ones. I think the main one is carried bear pepper spray. So it's this, you know, canister of, of pepper spray that shoots out the oil of pepper basically into this, in this fog, kind of, you know, the molecules of this oil, which terribly hot. It's like habanero hot. It turns, like I like to say, it turns into a giant skunk. Okay. You know, it's like it, 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 be, it gives you a tool that you can defend yourself in a non-lethal way. So if a bear does approach you for whatever reason, or is it close proximity where you can use this spray, which I'd say... 30 meters might be the maximum that you could use it effectively. You basically turn into a skunk. You spray this stout. It gets into their eyes and their nose. And in that moment, they don't feel like you're necessarily trying to fight with them. Mm-hmm. It just kind of incapacitates them. It makes them feel like, I can't see real well. I can't breathe real well. I'm in self-preservation mode now. I'm going to run away and just try to get away from this creature that just sprayed this awful stuff at me. Yeah, I think that's one thing to do is just carry this because you never know if you are going to have an encounter, if you are in grizzly bear country, you should just have that awareness knowing that you are. Mm-hmm. And then to have the tools to protect yourself, like bear pepper spray, is a real big part of it. It kind of takes out the the guessing of what its intentions and behavior is. It, to be a hiker, just be in the presence of grizzly country, you know, you're not a grizzly bear expert. You're not going to go out there and go, okay, I'm reading its body language. It seems like it's aggressive or whatever. It's... It's one of those things like it's just kind of a cure-all. No matter what its intentions is, even if it's just bad luck and it just happens to be running towards you because it's running away from something else or somebody else, it gives you the option without thinking too much to protect yourself. Uh, the other thing I like to just th- say is that when you're out in grizzly country, it's you're kind of in their backyard. You're in their living room. And it sounds ridiculous, but you know, do what you would do if you were sitting in your living room with your kids, with your family – and all of a sudden, a stranger walked in the door, right? Mm. What, would you, what would you want that, that stranger to do? And it's the same thing. If you were, were walking along and all of a sudden you encountered a grizzly bear, you want to do what you would want that stranger to do. And that is say, oh, sorry, I walked into the wrong living room. I'm, I'm going to go this way now. I'm sorry. You know, I'm so sorry I interrupted your television program and walk <laughs> out the door. And it sounds stupid, but what it does is like, you know, it's animals are so keen to body language. And if you literally say those things in a tone that you would you would hope the stranger would say to you in your living room, you know, apologetic, really calm. I'm going to go over here. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm, I'm going to walk away really slowly because I don't want to heighten this moment. I just don't want to panic the family. I'm going to go out this way. It was nice, nice seeing you, but I made a mistake. I'm going to go this way. You actually, even in saying that, it's the intonation of your voice. It's uh, that you, you naturally will start to um, do things with your body, body language-wise, that the bear would understand. Uh-huh. Um, 
obviously it doesn't understand what you're saying, but you then become a billboard and in a body language way that it can understand it. And it bears interact with bears, bears interact with other predators all the time. And that's the way that they handle each other. They handle each other like, Hey, I don't want a problem. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to show you this body language that shows that I have no ill intention and I'm going to walk away. And 99% of the time, nothing happens between the two animals. They don't want to take that risk. Okay. And so definitely. So first of all, things, not to do don't run correct <laughs> yeah don't yeah don't run don't scream you know that's don't the other scream. thing okay yeah it's just this heightened you know it's like again imagine the stranger walking into yeah. your yard and going ah oh my god <laughs> yeah. get away human get away human yeah. you know and you're then you're gonna go what's going on here what's everything so up up in the air and why is he running around and flailing around and being all heightened and anxious and it that would make you nervous uh-huh. right yeah. And then if you make the bear nervous and the bear is like, okay, maybe I need to do something about this because oh, I'm all nervous and this thing is like freaking out. So I need to like calm the scenario down. And the only way a bear knows how to do that is to go over and jump on top of you. Oh my <laughs> and God. So yeah, I think that it's, it's just keeping things calm and cool, keeping your voice low, not running, not doing anything quick. Um, will keep that whole scenario really calm and cool. And it sounds difficult. And it would be for most people. If a bear's close or even comes over and does make contact with you, most people's reaction is to scream and fight because they think that this animal is going to eat them and that they're going to be killed. But if you understand its true intention, and that is that it sees you as a threat and it's trying to just eliminate that threat. And it, that goes to the, the old saying of playing dead, right? Yeah. You hear it. It's like if a bear gets on you, play dead. If you play dead, they're, you're not fighting. You're not a threat. They go and they and this has happened over and over. It just happened to a kid uh, just in Montana a couple weeks ago, or maybe even a week ago, where a bear got on top of him and pinned him down to the thing. He laid there really calm. The bear didn't attack him. Just just was pinned him down to the ground and was like, "Hey, you're threatening me. I'm a big bear. This is not a good idea for you to be around." And he laid there really calm, and then he reached back to his backpack and grabbed his bear spray and sprayed it in the face and it ran away it saved his life now if that kid would have started screaming that kid would have started punching this bear in the face now you're engaging this bear you're becoming more of a threat and that bear is going to do whatever it can to make that stop and we as humans are not physically capable of enduring what a, when a bear wants to make you stop or it wants to engage in a fight with you so don't try it you know it's so it is zip the zip your lips and don't fight lay you know lay there calmly lay there like you're not a threat and a lot of times bears will come over and you hear stories over and over again where a bear will get on top sniff maybe bite a couple times and the person does nothing and the bear just walks away that sounds terrifying. I mean, and, and oh, <laughs> my mouth so is like open. Like, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> by the way, it folks, this so is, ex- this is extremely rare, but okay. But here's the deal though. I've heard, I've heard it's different between the black bear and the grizzly bear. And you are the expert. I heard if it is a black bear, because I know they're smaller to fight back. If it's a grizzly, don't fight back, play dead. Have you heard that before? I have. And I think that's based in, um, when a black bear, decides to actually go out of its way to make contact with a human statistically it may be looking at you more of in a predatory way so meaning that if you play dead you might as well just put some pepper and a garnish on yourself because it's coming over to eat you 
Okay. So, so a black bear, it, its intention may be to eat you. So if it, then playing dead would be a foolish thing. And now you, what you want to do is to do everything you can to prevent it. And that is fighting, punching it in the nose, um, kicking it in the face, you know, kicking it, screaming, doing whatever you can just to get it away from you. Yeah, because at that point you are a prey animal. And so you want to do what a prey animal would do, and that is do everything you can to get away. Um, very, very rare. Very rare. That's usually an animal that's uh, desperate. And yeah. it does happen with grizzly bears sometimes. Um, that, and again, that goes back to where the bear spray, you don't have to think about what's happening. Is this animal trying to eat me? Is this animal trying to defend itself? It doesn't matter. I'm just going to spray it in the face, and it's going to run the other way. That's where that comes into play. And again, it's every scenario, there's so many variables. And to try to, in that moment, assess the intention of an animal, uh, very difficult. All you're doing at this point is pooping yourself and trying to get away. And uh, if you just use the bear spray, you just that's a cure-all. It cures it all. It just hits the bear in the face, bear runs away, learns a really good lesson. It's like, hey, if I see one of these two-legged things cruising around out here again, maybe I don't want to get close to it because I'm going to get sprayed in the face. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever watched animals out in the wild when they see a skunk. I don't oh, care if you're yeah. a, a mountain lion or a bear, a wolf pack. If they see a skunk, they do not go run up to it because they know what happens. Yeah. It's that they, you know, skunk runs around out there very confidently like, I've got the secret weapon. And if any of you want to try it, bring it on. And they know. <laughs> so when you use bear spray, you're actually in this, in the grand scheme of behavioral evolution, you're teaching these animals that I have this self-defense mechanism that is nasty. And here you go. And then the next time it sees a person, it's just simple conditioning. It's like, hey, I remember what happens when I see that thing. Mm. I'm going to stay away. And that's great for everybody. Yeah. Have you had to use bear spray a lot in your career? <laughs> Not, well, I, I haven't you used see? it a lot, but I have used it uh, really? a bit. Okay. Yeah. In fact, two years ago, unintentionally, we were out f filming and we knew that there was a carcass in the area, um, a dead elk, actually. And we knew there was bears in the area and we figured, okay, well, maybe a bear will smell this carcass, come into it. It's a brand new carcass. Let's get some camera traps, set up upon this carcass before the bears find out where it's at. But we didn't know exactly where the carcass was. We cut into the general area. So as we're walking along, I um, actually had a team of three. A uh, guy was filming me, and I was just talking about the scenario. It's like we're moving into this area where there's a carcass. We want to set up these camera traps before the bears get there. But, you know, we got to make the assumption that a bear could be there already. So we got to be on guard. So we were filming this as we're moving in. And we had no idea where it was. And, in fact, we got very close to where it was kind of hidden down this little gully. And there was a female and a cub that oh. already had. Yeah. So we were basically did everything wrong. Uh, we got too close to a mom and a cub. And that is the, usually the animal that will attack you because it's defending its cub and itself. Um, we surprised it at close distance. So that surprise heightened that I got to defend my cub and I got to defend myself. And then it was on a carcass. So it, it, that's the other bad scenario because then it may even want to defend its food source. So sure enough, we walked within 30 feet of this thing, oh my this, this carcass. And then the mom pops up out of this gully, sees us. And she does, does this kind of like what I would call a, a bluff charge. She kind of runs sideways and then kind of runs towards us. Um, but doesn't come right directly at us. It's kind of just 
game of space, as I like to say. It's like, here, look at me. I'm big. I'm going to run by you like as fast as a racehorse <laughs> and show off my my power. And maybe you guys will go, okay, I'm going to back away. Well, she does this, and we stop. And this is, we have a camera rolling the whole time. And I, I just remember I, I said very few things. I go, uh, look out really softly to everybody. I go, are you recording? <laughs> I mean, that's so I said, <laughs> rule number one, are you recording? And then two, I just said, hold, just hold up, hold up. And so she runs like this. Well, now what happens is she, as she runs by us, her little cub jumps up and tries to keep up with her. And now her cub is like basically on the other side of us, closer to us than oh she my is. God. So then she turns and comes at us with this look. I'll never forget. Just, I've, you know, it's just, I'm going to kick your butt. Look. And just the speed was oh. unreal straight at us. And we were actually on the edge of a cattle ranch. So there's all these other variables. There was a, a, a barbed wire fence that she had kind of run through really quickly and then ran down. And then as she was coming at us, the fence was between us. But yeah, when you watch it, it you know, the fence actually did play a part in it, but the fence obviously wasn't going to stop her. They run through fences all the time at high speed. But it's just this, I knew in the moment, it was like I had to be calm. I had my bear spray out with the safety trigger off already. And as she started coming towards us, I actually took steps towards her. Uh, when And it was instinctual at the moment. It was just like when people watch that film, they're like, why are you taking steps towards her? And I'm like, I mean, I know now. It's like I wanted to get close enough to where she gets to the fence and she's going to have to make a, a, a choice, a micro choice mm-hmm. in di- dipping underneath that fence that at that same time i wanted the bear spray to be hitting her so i wanted there to be a couple variables in our uh, advantage happening at the same time and sure enough i take a few steps towards her i hit the bear spray just as she's starting to slow down to the fence it all kind of happens at the same time and she actually turns and because the the sound of the spray coming out actually made made her turn more than even the spray itself it turns and runs away. And so it was the combination of the spray coming out. Uh, getting, she probably got a little bit of, a, of it. The fence, my movement towards her that made her turn and run. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a film. In fact, Viral Hog just grabbed it. It's out there floating around. And also, if you look at like the Yellowstone National Park website and just look up Bear Pepper Spray, Bear Charge. Yeah, they, it's out there. It's a very cool video because it, it shows that even the, just having the bear spray and having that confidence and just the sound of it, that it can turn a bear and make it go the other direction. And I think seeing is believing for most people because when they hear, oh, I'm going to use a can of bear spray to protect myself against a 300, 400 pound bear, that sounds ridiculous to them. But then if you see it in action, I think people get a little more confident with it. And then the other thing about it, I think, is that you see the speed this things happen. I mean, she runs, and I actually paced it out, did a kind of a recreation about it, but she runs about 150 meters in 16 seconds. And I mean, that's like world-class speed if you're looking at a human. It's like Usain Bolt would run around that same that same speed. And she's not even trying. <laughs> she's, you know, kind of doing a fast jog in the beginning, and, you know, then she really puts a sprint on, and just things happen insanely fast. I mean, this whole thing happened in 16 seconds, and it was over. What are the qualifications to be one of your camera guys? Because I'm like, are these people experienced, you know, well, that, out in the wilderness yeah. with you? Or are they, okay, good. Because if I took my manager out to help me film something, she'd be eaten in like a second. So, <laughs> <laughs> like my team in New York. Anyway, so I'm just curious. Yeah, are these professionals just like you? 
They are. They got, they're guys with experience. But I think more importantly, and we talk about this a lot, is that we had gone over that hypothetical situation a hundred times before it actually happened. We knew what what we would do if it happened. So it's like you, if you have that a protocol in place and you talk about it and you talk about it and you talk about it and even practice it at some level that when it happens, it becomes a kind of a muscle memory response. It's like we, you know, there wasn't uh, that moment of like, what do we do? Mm. It's like, we have talked about what we're going to do and now it's game time and now we're going to do it. And, you know, it's a funny thing is, and we laugh about it constantly is like the second thing that comes out of my mouth is, are you recording? Yeah. Um, it, it, there's two reasons that it probably came out of my mouth. Mainly it was important to capture this moment. I'm a storyteller. Moments don't happen unless you get them hit record. And I knew that this was going to be something, something interesting. So that was, but also it was a bit of like a psychological calming. It's like, are you recording? This, this means that we are in the game. So it, it also just puts focus. People will start to focus about like, okay, I'm hitting is recording. Am I is it in focus? Literally, it gets their mind away from self-preservation mode, panic mode. Um, it it gets the mind to a focus point, and if you take that and it prevents panic, then it works. Panic never works. Panic things that panic in the wild don't get to tell the story. <laughs> natural mm-hmm. uh, natural selection takes its course, um, and they don't survive. So that's, yeah, that having a solid team knowing what to do, having a moment happen like that with the camera rolling and then having a positive outcome. It was a, it was a wonderful situation. Wow. I cannot wait to see this video. So you said, I, can I include the link in the show notes? It's, it's, you it's, should, yeah. it's online. You said viral yeah. hog and then um, viral hog has it. Yeah. I can, I'll send it over to you right after this. If I can, if you can't find it right away. Wow. Okay. So you are basically, what an experience, man. Okay, so this is crazy. So you've had several shows on Nat Geo. You're exactly what they're looking for in the mandate. <laughs> like you are. Wow. I mean, I'm serious. Expedition Wild, America the Wild. Did you ever see yourself growing up like wanting to be on television, educating people about animals? Or how did how does this work? <laughs> That's a, it's a funny question. It's a good question. I never had the intention of being a, a host or being in front of the camera. You know, I'd been in the situation of actually filming and be behind the camera long before that ever happened. And yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, going out and saying with a film crew and then going, okay, here's the grizzly bear track. You can tell it's a grizzly bear track because it's here's the toes and the claws and and whatever. And and as I'm explaining this stuff, I remember one day one of my producer friends said, Hey, do that again. And then got, you know, then got the camera out and filmed me doing it. So as things like that started happening, I, you know, I realized that I had an opportunity, a responsibility actually at some level to be the voice of these things. And it's something I was already doing anyway. I love going out with people and showing them what I've learned over the years. Mm. And it started to naturally just happen. You know, it was like, hey, you're not too bad at telling these stories Not, to the camera. <laughs> it's lovely. Yeah. Not, and then, yeah. and, and you know, how it, you know, how it is, you've been on TV. It's like, you know, yeah. In the beginning, it's like take 19. Now try that again. <laughs> you know? Dude, no, I, <laughs> all my stuff is mainly live. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, the today well, show and that. stuff. Oh yeah. Which yeah. is even, you know, yeah. It, it keeps everything really spontaneous, but yeah, dude. Oh my goodness. That's insane. Yeah, and that's what happened. You know, the other part of that, it's, it's, I remember this little kid asking me once at a, a school assembly when I was giving a presentation, he's, he's 
like, why do you really do this? And I, you know, I gave him an answer <laughs> like this. And then he looked at me and this is one of those kids. He goes, no, really, why do you do this? And I, something in that kid reminded me of being a kid and something clicked in my head. And I thought, you know what? He's right. There's, there's another little bit of this. And it is when I was a kid, I would come back from the weekend on Monday and I'd go hang out with my friends and I'd say, you wouldn't believe what happened this weekend. I was out with my dad and we saw this mountain goat walking on the ridge and we got behind this bush and it walked right up to us and sniffed my face. This is a real story. I just remember this happening. And, uh, you know, I, I had so many of these stories that I probably in my peer group became like, oh, yeah, Casey's going to tell some like crazy story again without any evidence of it. Right. <laughs> so there's like some deep seated thing in me. It's like I have had all these wonderful moments and opportunities and stories, but never had the ability to show them. Right. I could tell, but not show. And uh, now, you know, being a uh, wildlife filmmaker, I can have those same experiences and those moments, but then have the ability to document them and show the world and show my peer group, show my friends, like this actually did happen. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a bit of the more of, I guess, the deep psychological reason why maybe I do it. Have you ever had like the networks or, you know, producers tell you to like maybe act a certain way or maybe change your appearance? Or have you ever had to like stand up and say, no, this is like who I am or. Oh, man, definitely. You know, with television, particularly, it's. You know, the, you know, you are, you got to know who your audience is and, you know, the more heightened, the more energy, you know, you, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. we need, you know, I mean, before the today show, even the producer <laughs> like, okay, keep your energy up really high. You know, I know you just met this animal an hour ago and it might bite your finger live, but you, you know, take it like, take it like a man and keep smiling and make something cool out of it. Right. Oh yeah. So there's. It's always that like, you know, be energetic, be, you know, whatever. But anytime that I have personally have had a producer or a director say to me, you know, be something that you're not, it never really works no. for me. And, uh, and then usually after a while they're like, okay, no, just go back to being Casey. It works way better. I think the audience can tell too. Cause I've been told that, uh, like a million times to be something that you're not, you know, and I feel like you just have to be authentic cause the audience can see right through you, you know? You're right. You're absolutely right. And I think today, you know, most people know how how the magic is made, you know, and like you said, it's like if it's scripted, if it's it, it seems like it's canned or mm -hmm. made up, they can sniff it out immediately. In fact, you know, like we have cameras that are worth more than my house and we can go <laughs> the most beautiful stuff and really take our time and do everything that television wants you to do. But the audience, if you shoot something on your iPhone and it's authentic and it's in the moment, it's raw. Mm. They'll take that over. They'll take that over the highly produced, tons of money produced stuff. They'll take. They want the raw, authentic stuff because that's rare. Oh yeah, that's hard. Making up stuff, people are doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, but the real raw moments and the real raw people—that's what people want to see. And uh, I, you know, Corbin, I say, stick to that. Yeah, I yeah. I'm with you, man, 100%. Okay, so speaking about some scripted shows, I have to ask it because one of our number one listened to podcasts was with Dr. Jeff Meldrum regarding Sasquatch. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm serious. Have you ever seen any signs? I just have to ask because we're talking about yeah. these shows. And what are your thoughts? I know my listeners are dying to know. Yeah, you know, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Yeti, um, fascinating to me because um, I have not. Okay. I have not seen, I have not seen anything... That's not 100% true. So let me, I'll back up on that. 
I I have not seen something like that would just so obviously okay. I got a Sasquatch on my camera trap, um, and I go out and walk around and actively look and put up camera traps constantly. I'm using military technology to find heat signatures in the woods in the middle of nowhere. And if there was a Sasquatch walking around, bing, I'd find it. Mm-hmm. So I have not found a Sasquatch yet. But um, you know. I, Part of another show, um, Expedition Unknown, I was brought in. We went to Bhutan uh, and met with some people high in the Himalayas, these little villages way in the back of the middle of nowhere. And particularly this one guy who was like in his 70s, old yak farmer dude. You know, he tells his stories of, you know, in his lifetime of these encounters and these things that he would see. And I believe he saw something. I mean, he he totally did. He's not a guy who's going to gain anything from this. In fact, he probably never even heard of TV. Um, he's not selling T-shirts that say "I saw a Sasquatch." <laughs> he's not he's not gaining anything from it. Yeah. But he told these stories very, very uh, honestly. And uh, you listen to these people, and they are seeing something. When, what it is, I don't know. Maybe a, a Himalayan brown bear. I don't have no idea. But when you hear those stories, and you go to these places that are so remote. You think, is there a chance? Is there a chance there could be something out there? And I think that in the wild world that we live in today, there's still places that there could be a chance. It might be 0.001% of a chance, but that's still a chance. So do I? can I say, no, there's no possible way, zero. I feel like that's not even, you can't say that. But if I was to, if I had a million dollars and I was going to put it all in on the table and make the bet, I would say no. There's not. Oh. Um, I don't know. I, uh, you know, you know, like the Okapi. Yes, right? yes. Yeah, sorry, I didn't right. mean to scream into your ear, but yes, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just listened to a podcast about them. Go ahead. Yes. I mean, but that's a classic example. It's like here's this animal lives in in the, the Congo region. Yeah. Um it, it amongst locals it was a Sasquatch. I mean it was that crypto. It was that yep. mysterious and everybody said no way there could be a massive animal like this out there. This is all just a bunch of bull and you know o- over time obviously here we got the species of animal that looks like a hybrid between a zebra and a giraffe that was running around the Congo the whole time, but it was as crypto as El Chupacabra and the Yeti. Yeah. And now it's real. And now it's real. It's, and it's a big animal. So I think there's some awesomeness about the wild world that there are this there are these potentials that still exist that hey, you know what? Someone sees something, if two people see something, if a hundred people see something, and they say, and if you're a yak farmer that's seven years old in the back of the Himalayan thing, and you see something three times and you hear these crazy calls and you see these crazy tracks. It's worth looking into because you know what? Your nexo copy could be there. And I hope that our wild world can remain that cool and that mysterious that we will still make discoveries like that. Yeah, because scientists didn't discover the Okapi till what, like the early 1900s? It was insane, like not that long ago. Yeah. No, and I think the first like photographic evidence was like even in the 70s. Really? So, yeah. So oh, it was wow. like, I mean, there was sign and that they were confirming that there were some there was something that was valid to these eyewitness accounts. But then until they really got eyes on it, like, yeah, late 1900s. Yeah. Bingo. The Yeti became real. 
Yeah, I'm going to have to send you the podcast with Dr. Jeff Meldrum because he's an anthropologist and he was incredibly skeptical. But when he came across those tracks and he could see the skin fold, he said, there's just there's no way that you could recreate this. So it, it was interesting. It really changed my mind. I mean, I was ready to go out and look for Sasquatch. Well, I'll tell you, uh, is he the dude that's uh, he's in from Idaho guy? Right? Yeah, from Idaho. Yeah, I got him. Yep. Yeah, yeah. From well, Pocatello. I, I uh, did. A, <laughs> I got to tell you, I think the guy is kind of mad at me. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't, I didn't do this intentionally, but I, uh, someone brought a track cast. It was part of this other show, and they, I was brought in as an expert to just kind of look at the tracks. Um, and he brought in this track cast and uh-huh. said, hey, what do you think this is? And I looked at it, and I go, well, I've seen this track a lot. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I can actually recreate this track for you if you'd like. So Brutus, um, I used Brutus, like the grizzly bear that I raised. It's a whole other story. Um, and I basically, what it is, is I'm going on and on here, but if, you know, if a grizzly bear walks in a normal pace, just mm-hmm. walking, their hind foot will step into their front foot. And if they walk on an arc, that it'll be offset just a tiny bit where their big toe, their inside toe, which would be the equivalent of our thumbs, that back toe will double stamp, make a double register, and kind of appear to be big. And if you look at the back foot of a grizzly bear, it looks very much like a the human foot. You know, it's a very oh, big, okay. long foot of foot. So what you end up with is this, like, kind of double registered front to back track that gives this big impression of a toe. And it looks – it was exactly – we literally, I literally tried one time in the mud, made this – pass and then we cast the track and we held the two of them up next to each other and oh, they were no. they were they matched <laughs> i would be so pissed off at you i would be like over here preaching well, for sasquatch you're like hold on let me bring in the grizzly bear guy <laughs> well and then and the, and the bad thing about it was i didn't know why i was doing it necessarily oh, yeah. i didn't know i was and so then that production team actually took those and i think they went back to mr mildrum <laughs> and said oh, shoot showed him the video and showed that and then you know he got very upset with them and uh yeah again it wasn't my intention but i did i knew i could recreate that track and i wasn't trying to discredit anything that dr mildrum i believe right um yeah, i'll give you his personal number <laughs> I'll be like, yeah and, I, and I, again it was one of those things because he he beyond that track and uh, you know he has had many experiences and then as accumulated many eyewitness accounts and other things that Again, I fully support what he's doing. I think whether you're looking for Sasquatch and you're going to find it, in the process of looking and investigating as deeply as you can, you must have a belief and a faith in, in that there could be something out there. And he has hold, held true to that. And if there's anybody that's going to find this animal out there, it's going to be that dude. Yeah. And without having that passion and that, that diligence that he does – to go out there, then if there is something out there, no one's going to find it unless there are people like Dr. Mildrum. So keep on it, dude. I think he's got to keep on it, you know? Yeah. I, I hope I hope one day that the news will, <laughs> you know, the headline is Mildrum finally finds his Sasquatch. <laughs> I know. I remember I asked him because, you know, that famous 19, I think 1967 film with Patty, the, the famous, you know, Sasquatch in California walking. I remember asking him, like, so what do you say when people say that's a hoax and you could just see him just cringe, you know what I mean, through the Skype camera? And I, anyway, it's funny because you can tell how passionate he is, you know? Yeah. No, so, and that t- takes that kind of passion when you're looking for you know, the needle in the haystack. Yeah. And 
in his pursuit of looking for Yeti, he is going to find other things. Uh, and even if in the things maybe disproving, you know, the hoax. Yeah. Again, there's be, there'll be discoveries and it just takes that kind of drive and passion that he has. And, you know, again, it's the same the scientist that found Okapi mm. or the guys just like Mildrum. Again, there's always a chance. And I hope, I hope, I think it'd be s- such a humbling thing if we knew that there was something out there that big and that interesting and different that could still be existing on this planet today. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's go. You kind of did a great segue for me, actually, because I want to talk about Brutus. Okay. So for my listeners who do not know about Brutus, and by the way, my wife and I were on the couch last night watching that great film. It's on YouTube, or maybe it's on your website of you and Brutus, or is it, is it with the GoPro, or it's just a fantastic... Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It was amazing. It I, I'll put the link in the show notes, but... Tell us about Brutus for those of my listeners who are unfamiliar. Yeah, uh, Brutus, well, that was, you know, wildlife filmmaker, did some consulting at wildlife parks, and uh, at one of the wildlife parks came across this cub that was going to be euthanized because it had no, they had no room for it anymore at this park, and they were going to look for a place for it to go and couldn't find anything. And I just had, had this, you know, I was 26 years old, and I had this idea, like, you know what? I think I'm going to, I'm going to rescue this bear. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was a wild thing and he was tiny you know, he was just a couple of weeks old. So, um, but it was part of a bigger idea I had, but here I went through all the hoops and did all the things I needed to do to, to rescue a grizzly bear. And, uh, here I ended up with a, you know, a couple week old grizzly bear cub. I like to say it's like, there's no book out there, how to raise a grizzly bear for dummies. Yeah. So you just kind of have to dive into it. And, you know, he didn't have the opportunity to be raised by his mother. So then you kind of step in. And at that point, it was me and a a gal named Amy. We took that role as being mom. So you have to bottle feed him every four hours. And you just, you know, it's like having a baby. uh, But that bites you and can claw you and it gets upset. And they grow rapidly. And uh, it was interesting because it was, again, it was, I didn't know exactly what I was doing and, Obviously, he was a bear in a human world and didn't really know what he was doing. And you just kind of, you know, read the body language and it becomes this thing like, you know, you make mistakes and you try again and you get something right and vice versa. And a relationship forms. And even looking at it in a biological standpoint is, you know, a grizzly bear cub will stay with its mom for two to three years in the wild. And they learn everything. They learn where to go to look for food, how to dig or whatever to, to achieve the food. So this bear was relying on us to teach it everything. And there also is a, a bond that forms between a cub and his mother. That's one of the most strong bonds that exists in the wild world. And that bond formed with us, with me and that bear. And, you know, he's 17 years old today. He's 900 pounds. He's a massive grizzly bear. Uh, he lives at the sanctuary with other bears that we've rescued, but he still looks at me as this kind of mom friend dude thing. You know, that's a relationship. <laughs> but and 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 part of the responsibility of of keeping a bear in captivity is to try to give it everything it can have in the wild, and that's beyond food and space and interaction with other bears. But it is the relationship, you know. If it, you know, a little cub at two or three would get kicked away from, by mom because it needed to go off and do its own thing. And mom's tired of teaching it things. I didn't have to do that. And it, he still has that bond and he still will smell me 
from almost a mile away and be excited to see me and want to have that physical interaction and that social interaction that we just don't give uh, to animals. You know, they do have this emotional need and that is as important as anything. And, you know, it's a, it's a risky thing, you know, it's a, he's a grizzly bear. Um, but (laughs) I don't, I don't take chances with the guy. I, I don't, it's like, I don't make him do anything. I don't force him to do anything. Um, any interaction that he wants to have, he has it on his own free will. Um, I just facilitate the other side of it. And if he seems grumpy that day or doesn't seem like he wants to interact or turns and wants to go the other way, I have no stakes in the game other than my life. Then I don't push it. You know, I don't make him do anything. And uh, that's why it works. You know, everything that I preach and say, if, if, you know, I do something that forces him to make a mistake and somehow I get hurt or killed, uh-huh. everything I say goes away. It's just wiped clean. I'm just going to be another idiot. So, you know, there may become a time that he never wants to interact with me and I will, it'll be hard for me because it, in a selfish way, but the big picture is I would just say, okay, that's the way it's going to have to be. Wow. So have you had any close calls with Brutus? Like, I'm just, I'm trying to figure this out. Cause I also work with dangerous animals. I work with like alligators and stuff, but I mean, nothing compares to what, you know, your GoPro video is. You well, know what I mean? Like, but, but you probably, I mean, knowing that, I mean, you know, you've been around these big predators again, it's like, you know, when they're stressed out, you oh, know, yeah. when things, you know, people always will draw these lines between like me and like Siegfried and Roy guy getting whacked by the tiger. Oh, that's a you know, I don't, comparison. But I mean, they, they do. And, and yeah. it's, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm not putting that bear on stage every night and for, you know, making it go through this routine, you know, there's yeah. nothing forced there. He's just gets to be a bear at the sanctuary and be a bear. And I just step in and be a part of his life and the close calls, you know, if I see that there's any sort of aggression, which I never have actually seen with him, uh-huh. um, or even where he's just going to be extra playful and it might hurt because he's you know, a huge animal. Yeah. I just get out of it. I don't, I don't push it. Um, you know, there's times that we've played around and he's like rolled over on top of me. Oh it's the only God. time he's ever, ever hurt me. Yeah. And it was a complete accident and he lost his footing and literally put all his weight on top of me and yeah, I cracked a rib and oh. yeah, it, that was just a sheer for, you know, force yeah. his physics it play there and in fact you know i remember when it happened i was like he's on top of me and i could i couldn't tell him to get off of me because i could have no air in my lungs um and it it was a it was a you know i felt pretty uh helpless Uh (laughs) yeah and then but amy called him off of me and he came off and it was and he didn't even know he had hurt me and that was it but it put in perspective again it's just like and even a accident like that Uh uh-huh it easily happen anytime you're dealing with an animal of that size, but it's the same, you know, if you're shoeing horses or branding cattle, you might get kicked in the face, but you just make sure you don't put yourself in a situation to get kicked in the face. And it's the same with him, which is I'm reading him constantly. I don't push it with him ever. Yeah. It's worked 17 years. Wow. I would love to come visit. I mean, can visitors and in, in the sanctuary is the Montana grizzly encounter. Is that correct? Yeah. Montana Grizzly Encounter just outside of Bozeman. Okay. And that's and that's why it's set up. It's set up for visitors. You know, that's that was the big picture idea when rescuing him and the other bears was that people who are traveling in and around this area, Yellowstone country, um, they don't really know much about how to interact with bears. So 
the first thing is, is back to the beginning of our conversation is like, how do you, how do you cure the myth of these, you know, bloodthirsty killing machines? And that's allowing people just to watch them and see what they are. And, and what they are is big clowns playing around all the time and they're a beautiful animal and they have, they're just having fun. And I think when people see them, then they, they go, wait a minute, they're not so scary. And then they, we have a big educational program there where we talk about the same things we're talking about, what to do if you're in grizzly bear country and just everything about bears. So people who are tr- living in or traveling through can mm-hmm. take that information and that experience and actually apply it to their experiences with wild bears out there and hopefully coexist with them. I love that. I love that you're bringing awareness and I love that the videos go viral. And I just, I think it's so important for predators like grizzlies and great whites and, you know, there's stuff coming out with hyenas and people trying to show them that these aren't these bloodthirsty, you know, animals after humans. And so. Yeah. They got to tell the other side of the story and, yeah. you know, you know, it's like the teddy bear and the bloodthirsty grizzly, you know, the truth is, is that the animal is somewhere in between. But we all hear the bloodthirsty side. And, uh, you know, the teddy bear idea is equally as dangerous. If everybody thinks they're all soft and cuddly, they can go up and give them a kiss on the face. That's going to turn out as pretty bad, too. Mm-hmm. So you got to look You got to look at the truth, and the truth's in the middle there. And there are things that we can do to, to live peacefully with these animals, as people have had for tens of thousands of years um, before us. And uh, it's just understanding who they are and what they are. And to be that voice for the reality of, of who they are is important. And that's what, we, what we're doing at Montana Grizzly Encounter. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question and you don't have to answer it because I know it is kind of controversial, but I'm going to ask you sure. about um, Timothy Treadwell, the grizzly yeah. man. What are your thoughts on that whole situation? Yeah, I don't. it's not a bad question. I, I actually get it relatively frequently and I uh, have thought about it a lot. And okay. um, yeah, it, you know, I, I've... I, I think I have a pretty solid idea about the scenario. I've actually even went to the location, knew a lot of people that were involved in that scenario. Um, I camped in Katmai for almost a month. It, it, I actually camp, camped in a spot where he, not where he was killed, but a spot he camped frequently. Spent, did much of the same things that he did, filming the bears. And so I got a really unique perspective from his point of view. But also just, you know, here's a bear that... You know, I honestly believe whether it was Treadwell, me, anybody, um, that bear was a desperate bear looking to eat. And I found him and his girlfriend that day and ate him. And that he was part of the wild world as he always wanted to be, um, but on the bad side of it. The the fault isn't, you know, a lot of people will say he created that monster. He created that bear. And that bear he had no relationship with. He didn't even know at all. It was just a rogue bear that was desperate and making desperate decisions and crossed the line that most bears won't. And uh, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But beyond that is what in the psychology of Treadwell is that, you know, he's spent years up there around bears and he understood them quite well and lived peacefully with them. He used to carry bear spray. He used to put electric fence around his camps. Um, He did all these preventative things that you can do to not have these kind of interactions with bears. But as time went on, he, wanted to become a bear at some level he took away his his the tools that he had as a human and that is innovation through the use of our brain and having the bear spray and the electric fences and he started to take those out of his plan um and become more on even ground with the bear but without the human tools that actually put us on even ground with the bear um and that day he had no way to defend himself first off if he had electric fence around his camp he would have been able to just 
sit inside of his tent and that bear would have, if it had tried to get in there, it would have got whacked by the electric fence and ran away. And if it didn't, if it got through the fence somehow, he would have had bear spray and he would have sprayed that bear in the face or his girlfriend would have had bear spray and it sprayed that bear in his face and, and it would have saved his life. Um, but because that, because he wanted to live on even ground as a wild animal in, in its own right, um, he didn't have, he had taken those things away and, uh, it proved that those are important parts of being a human is utilizing innovation to protect yourself, uh, and to be on even ground with a bear. And yeah, that, again, it's, I, I think, you know, you take a film like Grizzly Man and, and, you know, from the television standpoint, it's like if they took all my outtakes and all my film and you could cut it any way you want to, you can portray a man in any way. But until I've like shook some guy's hand and looked him in the eye and actually got to know him, I'm never going to judge somebody based on a an editor's and a director's view of them. That is a really good point because when I watched it and, and I encourage everyone to check it out, I mean, I haven't seen it for years, but the, the, the Grizzly Man, there's also a book, but... I was going to ask you if you thought maybe he was, I don't know, had a few screws loose because they did show some crazy outtakes where it just was not, I mean, but you're right though. If like someone got all of my film <laughs> and like, you know, I'm sure. They yeah. Took, took what they wanted. Yeah. They could make you whatever you want. I mean, think about all the things you wish you never did in front of the camera or said, oh right? God, yeah. That, they're going to take all those and make it into a film and they're going to say, you know, Corbin, man, that guy lost it. <laughs> Some you people know? think that, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, it's the truth in it. And I think that, yeah, that, you know, yeah, even the stuff that he was doing and, and I laugh at myself is spending a month in Katmai, you know, by bears come over to you very close all the time. And there is this, this feeling of being one of the bears and being, it's this, it's an amazing place because the bears just literally have no fear of humans. They've not learned to be afraid of people. So you are just a rock or a fox. You're, you're just one of the critters. And there's something really cool about being in that scenario. And there was times that we, I mean, I had bears where I could have easily reached out and touched them. Oh, my God. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I've had bears. I've, <laughs> we were filming this female and a cub out digging for clams out in the in the tidal flats. And we're sitting there, and I have a camera guy's right in front of me, and I'm standing behind him, and this bear's walks, this mom and this cub walking straight at us. I'm like, this is really weird. And she just walks right by my cameraman and then comes and gets right behind me. And well, little I know, as the tide was going out, there's like a, it was a salmon that had exposed itself, and she could smell it, but she didn't care. She just like walked right around us and gets right behind me and starts eating the salmon. And had, we had nothing, we were just trees at that point, you know, it's like she yeah. was just, we were in the way. And the cub's right there. It's like a mom and a cub, like literally 10 feet away. And, you know, in that moment, you're like, okay, this is really nerve wracking. But she just made her salmon and walked away very peacefully. I just thought, gosh, this is just like against everything that you would assume. But what it is, is like the difference between a Yellowstone grizzly and a Katmai grizzly is that the Yellowstone grizzlies have learned to fear humans or look at humans as is something that they should be afraid of because we've hunted them or whatever, you know, we've had conflict with them. The bears and Katmai have never had that. So we are just another animal out there and they're just, they don't care. And it's, it's the way I wish it was always, okay. you know, it, you know, I've had this experience with Pumas in Patagonia, you know, I have mountain lion, I track mountain lions and film them here in the States constantly, same species. And their, their history of interaction with humans define who the, how they behave. The bear, the, 
Pumas in Patagonia, same thing. They don't care about people. They're not afraid of people. They'll walk right by you. They look at you like you're just another predator. They don't look at you like food. They don't care. Cat here, it sees you. It's going to run and get away from you as fast as it can because it's terrified. Um, same animal, just a different experience with people. What do you? We're on, I went on a tangent there from Chedwell, but oh no, no, this is if you've listened to the show, no, I love it, dude. I'm just, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm learning so much. What do you feel about people hunting, like you know, mountain lions or bears? What are your thoughts on that? Because I think it's, I personally think it's disgusting. I, I mean, I don't, I think they're such a majestic animal. So I'll, I'll give you my sense, but I mean, I'm trying to be open minded. I know that, you know, wildlife management. So can you just, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I try to keep an open mind about it, too. I, you know, predators, hunting predators is, you know, particularly recently has it's been proven that it's just a, it's actually going against the management ideas that we have. You know, so if we eliminate predators, then there'll be more deer and elk out there for us to hunt. I mean, that's ultimately what the management thing is. Like. Mm -hmm. There's a statistic, you know, wolves are another one. Like wolves are a great example of this. It's like every year, I'm just throwing, this is a great statistic. Every year in the state of Montana, 25,000 hunters harvest an elk. That means 25,000 elk are killed by wow. human beings annually in the state of Montana. So what management people are trying to do are is to make sure that there's a surplus of 25,000 elk every year. Wow. For people to kill, but while sustaining a population of elk that will continue to produce that every year. So that part of that management plan is to take the predator out of the scenario um, because they take, you know, they kill lots of animals themselves. So we're competing. The hunter, the hunter is competing with the other hunter, the wild hunter. So that is why, why hunting predators is a part of this management plan. It's not managing them to be a healthy population as they would exist on the planet. It's managing them to make sure that there's enough elk for the hunters to kill and enough revenue comes into the state that pays the jobs of the people who depend on it. Hmm. Um, I Again, I, uh, I try to keep an open mind to it. I think that you know people do have their livelihoods with cattle and uh, livestock that do – depredation does happen. Um, you, I think that you can't blame people to want to defend them, their, their livelihood and their family. Um, but I think that actively hunting these animals does not do the job. In fact, there's other ways that I'm working with other, with ranchers, other people, like what they can do to prevent them from happening. And then long-term teaching these animals to learn how to live with people and not out of fear. You know, it's the other thing. It's like, you know, people will say, well, there's so many grizzly bears. I see them all the time. We got to start hunting them so they can have the fear of humans in them. And then if they, they'll run away, well, if you understand why a grizzly bear attacks you, it's because it's afraid of you. In fact, by making a grizzly bear more afraid of people, and if we started actively hunting grizzly bears, I honestly believe there'd be more attacks because they, when you do bump into them, they're going to have no doubt what your intention is, and that is bad. And they're going to try to, you know, they're going to just look at you, the stranger walking in the living room and going, this guy's intentions are bad. I know it. I'm going right after him first. I got to save myself. I, I'm against hunting predators. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a, but more so, I'm against, I mean, grizzly bears particularly. Grizzly bears are one of those animals that's like, you know, the same guy who goes out and shoots a grizzly bear. If you said, hey, I want to go on a, a bald eagle hunt tomorrow. Yeah. They'll, they'll look at you and go, what? A bald eagle? You're like, yeah, they're eating all the fish, man. We got to get rid of these things. And it's like, but it's a symbol of freedom in America. 
and they would never shoot a bald eagle, you know, and because that's how they have, there's a value that they give to this animal. Same with like, okay, how about a dolphin? Well, let's go hunt dolphins. Let's go hunt orcas. Let's go shoot a, a gorilla. Mm. And the same people would go, that's weird. That's, they're like smart animals or they have, they have a different value system to them. And again, it's like, I think grizzly bears are kind of like the gorillas and the dolphins of, of North America. If they're highly complex, intelligent, emotional animals that are much like us. And I think that if people start to value them for what they are, they wouldn't want to, but there's this social acceptance, I guess is the right thing is like, I think more and more it's becoming socially unacceptable to kill things like mountain lions and, and bears and wolves. Um, I still think that elk and deer, you know, I eat elk and deer. I I've hunted elk and deer. Um, that's still socially acceptable because mm-hmm. it's a food, it's a, an, a food source that is, can be sustainable out there. Um, that is a healthy food source, but then you start tipping over. It's like, where's that line? Right. Is it okay? I might eat a bear. Someone will say, and that's kind of ridiculous. People do do it, but it, you know, whatever. But it's like, do you really need to? Do you, you know, do you really need to go eat a bear? You can eat that elk right there. You know, there's places like British Columbia, for example, that where it has become socially unacceptable to hunt grizzly bears, and they've they have voted that they do not want hunting grizzly bears, and they don't. And I think that the general public in the states are going or are, are trending that way. We're going to look at grizzly bears and other things like, hey, science isn't there, man. This, why are you really doing this? It's about ego. It's not about food. And I think over time, there won't be hunting of predators because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think with this generation, this, you know, this new generation, just with like social media and stuff, it is becoming really socially you know, unacceptable. And, you know, you see people, you know, uh, things will go viral of people, you know, posing with dead grizzly bears or lions. And, you know, we could just go on a huge tangent, but I agree with you there. And also you have to look at it. I mean, a place like Yellowstone national park, cause we've, I've, I've done an episode on wolves. I had a wolf hunter on, well, a hunter, and then I had a wolf conservation center on, but it was so interesting when I talked to the conservation center in Yellowstone, I think she told me that wolves bring in alone, like $30 million like to the right. economy and like even with grizzly bears they probably bring in a lot of people or excuse me like a lot of money like people going to yellowstone want to see a grizzly bear yeah no there's if you look at it in value in that way just a monetary way which i, it, which I hate doing by the way but you have to look at what you know if someone's like well, what are they you know why are they i guess well, you have to that, yeah. that's what these that's what these decisions are inevitably based on yeah money and it is money and so, you know, if you look at managing predators to make sure that you have a 25,000 elk surplus um, because of revenue coming to the state, you got to flip it the other side and go, okay, what, what are these predators bringing to the state as far as revenue? And it is statistically shown. In fact, a friend of mine just stood up at the, uh, the House of Representatives here in the state of Montana. She did this big study on the, what are the, the physical, like, or the monetary value of an elk or of a wolf and a bear. She actually figured it out and it's, it's, and it's insane that it is, they bring in so much money. And if people that came to the state of Montana and decided or to Yellowstone that they were going to buy a view, a grizzly bear tag, as you would a hunting tag, and they paid $25 or whatever you pay to buy an elk tag to hunt an elk. If they paid this money, which they would, 
the that would even it would be exponential amount of money coming in here. But it's just you know food and lodging and buying gas and spending time here and to see these grizzly bears and buying film for your camera, which no one does anymore, SD cards for your camera. <laughs> um, I mean, all that stuff adds up and ultimately does bring more money to the state than hunting ever ever will. Absolutely. Okay, so I have a question for you. Being a tourist, I've never been to Yellowstone. My wife and I want to go, but do you have any tips of like maybe the best time to go? I mean, grizzly bears are at the top of my list. Okay, I mean, as I'm yeah. sure everyone, can you give me some insider tips? Because I really don't want to go in July when it looks like Times Square, you know, with like all the people there. <laughs> like, yeah. so yeah. Tip number one: don't go in July. Got it. Um. <laughs> I have my notepad right here, Casey. Okay, go ahead. So don't actually, go in actually, July. but actually, you. Uh, there's a very specific time, the month of May. So we're getting there now. Okay. Um, it's, is super, super great. I think for all, all the things that people want to see, like wolf and grizzly bears, if you go to and spend a couple of days in the park in May, particularly the middle part of May, um, and don't see a bear, you're unlucky. <laughs> I've got, I've gone into the park, uh, and I've seen 20 grizzlies in a day what? in the month of May. And then you don't have all the crowds of people. It's beautiful. You know, it's like you oh have, you know, the snow and the peaks and there's wildflowers start popping up. It's greens in the valley. It's just, to me, it's the most magic time of the year there. But what, yeah. okay, but Yellowstone is huge. Is there a particular part that is best to visit for the predators? I think the Northern range. So Northern. between Gardner and Cook City. Okay. Um, that road is open year round actually, but that road is the, the wildlife road. Northern range is the, you know, it's the part of the, the park where most of the ungulates, the deer and the elk and the bison, uh, they, it's the drier part of there's less snow cover. So they spend most of their time there. So then with that, the predators are right in the area. And in the month of May, what's interesting is the animals that have died from the winter, um, the carcasses are laying around and the bears are, that's what they're doing. They're scavenging. And most of those carcasses are down low in the valleys next to the rivers that happen to be where the roads are. And so the opportunity to see elk, the, a dead elk with a big bison laying next to it dead and a bear coming down and eating on both of them and a pack of wolves coming in and oh, it's actually quite high really? and that the poppy oh yeah it's quite high in fact I'm, they're starting to you know i get follow all these uh, yellowstone reports where you know photographers and filmmakers are just uh putting up shots and the bears are out now the first first kind of wave of bears the usually adult males and they're getting all kinds of awesome viewings of bears and wolves interacting on carcasses right now wow okay what about the fall is that is, is fall's, that a good time the, it's not too bad fall's been weird was, over the last decade it's been hot like okay. much into october and is when it's hot bears are up high bears yeah fall's a tough one because there are very specific spots where bears will go like look for white bark pine seeds up on like dunraven pass if you go there in october you might see some grizzly bears that are coming in there, but then the white bark pine has kind of died off because of the the climate change. Um, and then there's not so much bears around there. It is. There used to be. Yeah. If I was a veteran man, I would, uh, go, I'd throw it around May 15th. Uh, May 15th. Got it. Okay. I got it. Well, Casey, I know you are a busy guy. I just thank you so much for doing this. I had such a good time just talking. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Uh, unfortunately, I, I like to talk. <laughs> I like to talk. No, I appreciate it. Again, it's like, uh, 
Yeah, I got some stories to tell, and I you did a great interview, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, and I would love to have you back on, seriously, to talk more, because yeah. I like have this list of stuff I want to talk about, like with wolverines and all this type of fun stuff, and wolves, and so I'd love to get you back on the show. Okay, let's plan it. Yeah. Make it happen. Okay, and now really quick, do you have any last-minute advice for anyone wanting to pursue a career, maybe as a wildlife filmmaker or a naturalist? We have a lot of young people who listen to the show who are looking, who are dying for advice of someone who's successful like you. Well, there's three things. A little saying I like to say is like dust off the books and get your boots muddy. So I think it's a, a nice combination of, you know, reading and learning, but then get out there, man, apply it. Even if it's, if you live in the city, there's something out there wild, but get out and just get your nose, track things, try to film them, it, whatever. Just being out and understanding is a, a big part of it and applying what you've learned in those books that you've dusted off. And then I think the third and most important and sometimes unfortunate, but not necessarily, is like, I always like to say, like, who who would you want to be? Like, particularly, like, I want to be like you, Casey Anderson. So if you want to be like Casey Anderson, get a hold of Casey Anderson and say, hey, I want to hang out with you. I'll carry your heavy backpack. <laughs> I'll yes. do this. And I will go out. And, and it's truly, that's how a big part of my life and my career particularly is like, I vol- I've volunteered more time than I have got paid for it. And I just aligned myself with people that had careers that were in my, you know, in my sights of what I wanted to do. And, uh, through them, you, you learned so much and, and then you make these relationship connections that are ultimately really how things roll and in, in the world, you know, it's like who, you know, it is all uh, who, you know, that yeah. <laughs> in the entertainment industry, that would be a huge one. <laughs> And I, you know, I, I, yeah, and I packed around big backpacks and carried people's gear when, you know, starting when I was 19 and, uh, followed people around filming wolves when they're introduced to the park. And we were, that's one of the first projects. Like that's all I did is walk around, carry gear and learned. And, uh, that relationship turned into another one. And then I just, you know, and now here I am. Yeah. That's, oh, I love that advice. I love that advice. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, For more information, people can visit your website, correct? Yeah, caseyanderson.tv. Uh, if you want to learn more about the production company that I kind of keeping all my time now, uh, visionhawkfilms.com. That's what I've been up to the most. And then, of course, the sanctuary, very important, grizzlyencounter.org. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.